Hey, like lighting a match. It's there all at once. This is my final sermon today in Mark. Everything gets summed up in this one crucial event in history, the, the resurrection of Jesus. And we find out some things in this, I hope, today about each and every one of us as we look at uh, different parts of this passage today. I have to tell you now that I will not be uh, using the longer ending of Mark today. I could give you a lot of reasons behind that, uh, but the main one is it's, it's not all that reliable. But there is um, a summary statement of that final portion of Mark that we will be using today, and I'll still teach from the whole thing. I'm just not going to take the time to read that last section. I could get into all the details about that, <sighs> but it's a seminary class, and you would not appreciate it, and uh, I wouldn't appreciate it either. <laughs> but beginning with verse 42 is where we dropped off the last time at the burial of Jesus. When it was already evening, because it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Unheard of thing that Joseph did. It took great courage for him to do this, to ask anything of, for, for, for a Jew to ask anything of a Roman could have easily been a capital offense. But he went. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. So summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. And when he found out from the centurion that he had already died, he gave the corpse to Joseph. After he brought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down and wrapped him in the linen then laid him in the tomb, cut out of rock, and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were watching where he was laid. So this is finally the resting place of this chaotic scene that had been going on now for nearly 24 hours. All this chaos that was happening, and still this is chaotic. You have to understand that sundown is, begins the Sabbath day, about 6 o'clock. So nothing could be done on the Sabbath day at all. Uh, you could walk almost a quarter mile, but anything beyond a quarter mile was work, and that was breaking the law. There's a thousand things that you could do on the Sabbath that would be breaking the law. And so they were very fearful of breaking the law, so everything stopped on the Sabbath, and you rested, like Scripture said. And uh, so Jesus, we know, died about 3 o'clock. So here we are three hours between the time he dies until the time that everything has to stop. And so Joseph goes, probably by this time it's closer to four o'clock in the afternoon, and he's, and he's asking for Jesus' body. And so very hurriedly, all of this has to happen. He doesn't know if he's going to get Jesus' body. Pilate says, yeah, well, now I've got to get a piece of linen to hoist him down off the, the cross. So he goes and gets that. He says he bought it. He went somewhere to buy it invested some money into this whole process, got Jesus down very hurriedly and got him to his own tomb that he had 
that had never been used before, and it was a family tomb. And we know this because of the, the description of the stone. So the way this worked, there were sandstone cliffs, and if you were going to bury somebody, you would hollow out a place in the sandstone, okay? And then if it was just for one person when you died, they put you in that place, and they literally just mudded over it, and that was it. But the stone indicates that that was a tomb designed for multiple people to come to rest there. Okay. And so Joseph had prepared this for his own family, but he saw this great need for Jesus. And so hurriedly, he gets him down off the cross. He gets him into the tomb. They affix the stone. The ladies witness all this, and they all get back to where they need to be for the Sabbath so that there's, there's no work done which means that they couldn't prepare the body properly for his burial. There was no time. There was a process to this. It was, it was, a, it was a lengthy process. There were prayers that were prayed, and there was the, the, the spices and the oils. It was, it was, it was really oil-infused with different spices. And they did, they did different things with that so that the whole purpose of this was to eliminate the, the foulness of death, if I can just say it that way. And so they were sick, really, that they weren't going to be able to do that. And so they leave. So that's Friday, that's one day, and then the Sabbath. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, I'm in verse 16 now, of chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning... On the first day of the week, so here we are, would be our Sunday. This is three days now. They went to the tomb at sunrise. So as soon as the Sabbath was over, because you have to remember, the day went from sundown to sunrise. Our days, we don't do that way. But for the, for the Jewish calendar, the beginning of a day was at sunset. Where does that come from? Genesis. Remember when God created things? In the evening, in the morning, it was the first day. In the evening, in the morning, it was the second day. So they kept time by evening to morning was a day. So this was a new day, the first day of the week. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? And looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting at, on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he says, don't be alarmed. Your, your, your uh, Bible may say they were afraid or they were in fear. But he says, don't be fearful, don't be alarmed, don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, but he's risen. He's not here. See the place where they put him, but go Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you in Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. And then the more likely ending of Mark says this, and all that had been commanded to them, they quickly reported to those around Peter. After these things, 
Jesus himself sent out through them from east to west the holy and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. And then it's got at the end of that, Amen. I love this story for these ladies. We just run past the ladies in, in, in a lot of this. But Mark is so careful to remember them. You remember the last time we met, he talks about how these were the ladies that took care of Jesus during his ministry. Okay, so this is what this meant. They would travel around and they provided enough money. They would go find places for him to stay. They were kind of like, um, if, if, you, if you asked a traveling band today who takes care of all their business, they'd say the roadies do. They handle everything for us. We just show up. And that's kind of what these ladies were doing. They were making sure that everything was provided for Jesus. And so here they are again. They, they were at the crucifixion when everybody else ran away. And here they are again when he's being taken down to be buried. They watch where he is so that they know where to go back to as soon as they can get to him on that first day of the week. Following that Sabbath, they could do what they, what they wanted to do for Jesus. Now look, they do this without any hope at all. Jesus is dead. Let that sink in for a minute. They knew a world when Jesus was dead. There was no hope. There was no, no life after death. There was no purpose found in his life. There was nothing. All they knew is that this man was a pretty great man. And he had shown them a new way to live. And they had devoted their life to him while he was traveling and teaching. And this very last thing that they could do for him, they were going to do. And so they left with some expensive things in their hands. They had, they had to, had to translate some resources into what they needed to take care of his dead body. That's all it was for them. They were just fulfilling their duty to a person that they loved. And they were going to take care of his dead body. They leave not even knowing how they're going to get to his body. They know that there's a big stone there. They watched it rolled out there. I don't know what they were thinking. The other gospels record that there were soldiers that had been stationed there to make sure nobody messed with the body. Maybe they thought they were going to be as bold as Joseph and go ask these soldiers if they would roll the stone out of the way. So that they could get to the body. We don't know what happened. Because there's no need to know. But what we learn from these ladies. Is quite important for all of us. How willing are we. To serve Jesus. And to love him. And to care for him. When we know that we may not ever receive anything in return for it. Would you love him that much. To be willing to say. Yeah. I'll give what I have. And I'll, and I'll trudge on, not even know how I'm going to accomplish the task, but I'm going to go and I'm going to do for him simply because I love him and no other reason. Because that's what these ladies did that day. They didn't go expecting an empty tomb. They didn't go expecting eternal life because Jesus had been raised from the grave. They went to Jesus to serve him because they loved him. And I think too very often... We get ourselves so wrapped up in what Jesus has done for us that if He had never done it, would we ever love Him? 
Now, of course, we have a hard time putting ourselves in that place. Because the only reason why we know about Jesus is because what has happened. Look, if they would have gotten there and the stone would have been in place and they could have managed to roll it back and there would have been the dead body of Jesus, none of us would have ever known it. There would have been no reason to know it. He would have just been another dead Galilean in a tomb. If you ever wonder about the validity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the very fact that it is here that gives its validity. Who would ever worship a dead Galilean in a tomb? But that's not what happened. The question really becomes for us today, if we're going to learn something from these ladies, how unfailing is our love for Jesus, really and truly? Or do we have this, uh, something you should have all learned in the last few months, do we have this quid pro quo going on with Jesus? Where you do something for me and I'll do something for you. Because if that's the kind of relationship you have with Him, well, then that's the reason why when things go bad, you start saying, oh, pitiful me. Where's my Lord? Where's my God? If you're constantly looking for something instead of just giving all to Him, then you've missed the entire point of the empty grave. The empty grave says, I can give everything to Him and know that nothing can defeat me in that. Nothing at all. We should all look at, take a close look at these ladies and discover the unrelenting, unfailing devotion that they had for Jesus. There's an, also an unfailing certainty about the resurrection in this story, isn't there? They get there and the stone is, is removed. Something had to roll it up this hill and back into its place. It had a little groove. They would cut a groove in the rock in front of it so that the stone could move. It was going to be reusable. And then you had to kind of roll it up an incline and it had a place to prop it or had a device that you could prop the stone and then it was time to roll it back. You could roll it back. The stone was out of the way and they go in there and Jesus knows, Jesus knows they didn't remember a thing that he told them about what he was going to do. Three times he said the very thing that would happen, happened. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to persecute me. They're going to try me. They're going to crucify me. But don't worry about it. Three days later, I'm going to rise up from the grave. He told them three times. And yet, we've witnessed the whole events. The, the previous four or five days, he rides in as really the king of kings. The whole town of Jerusalem, almost the whole town, welcomes him as a Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, as we just sang. And five days later, he's, he's hanging on a tree for insurrection against the Roman government, which is totally false. Everything about the truth Jesus had spoken and everything that he was put on a tree for was a lie. And he told them ahead of time, this is exactly the way it would be. And so we get to this place. They show up anyway. They're looking in the very place that Jesus said, I won't be, because we cannot get past Sometimes we cannot get past the truth of who He is. You worship a risen, living Savior. 
who once walked this earth just like you walk it, who faced every sin that you've ever faced, yet did not sin. He died the perfect man for you as the perfect Son of God and was raised to life so that you could be raised with Him. And that's the truth of the gospel. Jesus said it would happen, and yet they go, and He's not there. It's exactly the way it happened. It is as, as surely as Jesus spoke, spoke creation into the world and everything into being, He spoke this into being. Because He told them three times, this is what's going to happen. It's the truth. Believe it. There's an unfailing certainty in the resurrection. So there's an unfailing certainty in the words of Jesus. He came and said what? I came that you might have life and have it how? Or to the fullest extent. He speaks those things into being for us when we believe them. We find in this passage too, in two words, a very important truth about how Jesus deals with us today. There's an unfailing love of Jesus for the faltering and failing unbeliever. How many of you in here, and I'll be the first to raise my hand, has felt like you failed at a believer, as being a believer at some point in time? That you faltered in your walk? That sometimes you're almost quite embarrassed to go to Jesus in prayer. That you're quite embarrassed to show yourself in a church where people may know your business and your shame. All of these things are true for us, right? Everybody in the room has either experienced it or we know someone that has. And deep in our gut, in that place where we, we pray that someone will have enough sense and compassion for us to take away the pain that we feel. We, we pray that that will happen. Jesus has for us. He doesn't condemn us for our failings. And we know this how. Look at verse 7. He says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. You ever tried to imagine where Peter had been all this time? After he had Stood there in front of the rest of them. Oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to die with you. Jesus says, Peter, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat, and I'm praying for you. And he says, oh, no, I'm going to go with you. And he says, no, Peter. He says, before the cock crows twice, you will have denied me three times. And sure enough, it happens. And it says in, it says in Mark that he went away weeping bitterly about that. Where does a man go? Where does a person go? When you're so fervent about who you are and what you're going to do with Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Remember, Peter's the one that said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Where does a man go when he has failed so miserably with who he is? I think you go find the darkest place you can find away from everybody that you know. And you just hope that you can kind of, at, at best, evaporate into the woodwork and never be seen again. But Jesus, in His great love for you and me, 
says, and go to the disciples and Peter. Peter's heart is broken because of what he's done to me. Peter's heart is broken because of now he knows the truth about who he is. And we can't let him stay that way. You got to go tell him. You tell him what? I'm going to meet him. I'm not leaving him alone. I'm not forsaking him. I'm going to meet him there just as I said I'd meet him there. My word is true. My love for him is true. And I want him with me. If you've ever reached a point where you feel like you've just done had such a done such a terrible job with your life with Christ that you just soon melt into the floor and never be seen again. Jesus is reaching out and saying, I want you with me. The place where I promised I would be with you, I will be with you. And don't you ever forget it. We cannot let who we are determine for us who Jesus is. Ever. We will fail every time. We will never know who He is. We will only know what we think He is. We only know the limited nature in which we are able to understand Him and experience Him. But until we are open to the fullness of who He is and says, Yes, I will go to where He is. And I will welcome His embrace. And I will suffer no more for my own ignorance and my own self-inflicted mistakes. That's what Jesus said when He said, Go tell the disciples and Peter. You've heard me say it a lot of times, but I'm so thankful for Peter. Could put Mark in there all the way through wherever they put Peter. I'd understand him perfectly. Probably put your name there a lot of times too. You'd understand him perfectly. Then finally, there's an unfailing command in here to go tell and to demonstrate the power of a life with Jesus. Do you understand that when the, when the Bible teaches us that we live by the power of the resurrection, that that's a true statement for your life? That's not a fairy tale. That's not hyperbole. But that the power that raised Jesus from the grave is actually the power that we're able to live by as we follow Him. That, that we allow our lives to be used by Him, that that's the same power. I want you to think about that for a minute. We've all seen people dead. If you've ever been to a funeral, there they are. We know the finality of that. As surely as that stone represents the door of death that cannot be moved, that was moved, we feel the same thing in that there's a finality to it that we can't quite overcome. Well, Jesus has overcome the finality of anything that we can imagine and has given us power to live through that and opens a way into really vibrant life with Him. A life that can do anything that He chooses to do with you. Now, maybe we sometimes want to choose for ourselves and they're kind of, it's kind of like a dead battery at that point. You can't do a lot with it. Because it's His power and He is using it according to His will and His love for your life. That's what He's given us to live by. And that's what He tells His church at the end of this. I've given you something to do. 
You know that everybody needs something to do. We identify ourselves by what we do. You ask anybody, you, you meet for the first time? I mean, one of the top four questions that you're going to ask is, well, what do you do for a living? Or what do you do? What, you know, we want to know what we're doing. We know, we want <laughs> you ever, you ever want to hang out with somebody who says, oh, I don't do nothing? <laughs> I, <laughs> I sit on a swing in the backyard and I drink tea and I don't do nothing. Okay. How, how long is that conversation going to go? Mm, sweet tea or unsweet tea? That's about it. We are, we are defined by what we do with our life. By the, by the breath that is in our lungs, we, we are meant to be known by what we do. And, and Jesus is saying, I have given you the perfect thing to do. And that's live life with me. Remember earlier, he asked the rich young ruler this very thing. Is he had everything. He says, man, just live your life with me. Get rid of everything else. Live your life with me. And he couldn't do it. He was so, he'd been, he'd been enamored and, and lulled asleep by that power that he had already. He, just, he, couldn't, he couldn't see it. He couldn't see it in Jesus, this poor homeless man that he'd come for the truth. And when he received the truth, said, well, that can't be the truth. <laughs> But in this, in this, in this longer section and in the, in the final section, he's given us this. We're to preach. Now, I know some of you are saying, I am not a preacher. I'm not asking you to be a preacher. But I'm saying that in that word preach is this, that you just tell the truth. Oh, we can all tell the truth. And when it comes to telling the truth about who Jesus is, it ought to roll off our tongue like melted butter, man. Because we're living it every day with Him, right? So we're not only telling the truth about Him, we're telling the truth about us when we tell the truth, when we're preaching this gospel. We're telling the truth about Jesus by a means of telling the truth about who we are with Him. And that's as natural as anything. Everybody likes to talk about themselves. I don't care who you are. It's talking about your life with Jesus. Let your story really truly be baptized as you were baptized. Let it be changed. Let it be strengthened by the fact that He has given you this to do. We cannot deny it. We were talking this morning in 1 Corinthians. Paul said, look, even if, even if I was unwilling to preach, I've been commanded to preach, so I must preach, and woe to me if I don't preach. And, and we have that same obligation as believers. Woe to me if I am not delivering the good news that I've been given. And if you're a believer, you can't deny it. It is your life. See, they're not fragmented things here. They're the same. He's given us that message. When we look at the longer in it, it also says that He's, he's given us the ability to heal. When we pray this morning, we ask for healing for a lot of things. You take that serious? Because our prayers have the ability to heal. A spoken word has the ability to heal. When it's offered, believing and trusting in the power of the resurrection, it has the ability to heal. Now, it's up to God if He wants that to happen. 
But we find in that faith great power. Great power. In fact, so powerful that it's been studied and doctors now know that prayer heals. Remarkable. When Cornelius asked about Jesus, Cornelius in Acts, he's asking Peter, of all the things that, Je that Peter could have said about Jesus, he describes Jesus this way. The man Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth went about doing good and healing people from the evils of sin. That's the power we have. That's the power He's given us. So when you lend an ear to someone whose soul is hurting and their heart is breaking, you're healing you're a healer. When you give your life to someone in their, in their worst time and you go and do things that you never thought you'd have time that day to do or never thought in your life that you'd be doing and you go do it and it brings life to that person in some small way, you're being a healer. I'll use a personal example because I, I can this morning. Some of y'all know Sherman. He comes to church with us. Yeah, well, I, I, I picked up Sherman. Sherman stays in our sober living house. And he, he slipped off and got back into a bad way. And he called one day. He actually called one of our other sober living guys. And he said, do you think Miss Patsy and Mark, she's Miss Patsy, I'm just Mark. You think they let me come back? And of course, we let him come back. And I went to a place in Baton Rouge I'll never go to again. Ever. And really wasn't expecting to go that night. I was supposed to be, I was on the program at the associational meeting, annual meeting that night. So I should have been somewhere else, but I really shouldn't have been somewhere else. Because... The, one of the callings that I believe in is that each one of us have the ability to heal another person's life in Christ. And I would rather do that than anything else because that's the treasure that's stored up in heaven. There's nothing else. Nothing else. And so in this passage we learn that we've been given that ability and we need to pay attention. We need to have eyes to see, ears to hear what's going on. Because we've all been given that ability. We also know that we've been sent with power to confront death and evil and suffering. And the longer in it, it says that you'll be able to raise people from the dead. And, and disciples actually did do that. But we are able to go and we are able to proactively confront things in the world that are destroying lives. Just give you two local examples. The highest foster care intake rate in our parish comes out of the city of Walker. Families in Walker, Louisiana are broken to pieces. We need the power to do something. We need to exercise the power that's been given to us. That's what it means to be the church. That's what is meant by Jesus to send us out. Another terrible fact that is true about our parish. Over 80% of incarcerations are repeat 
drug arrest. Now, some of you in this room know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been repeat drug arrested. The church, the church should be on its face asking for forgiveness for letting that go on. Each life in this room has the power to help overcome that problem. That's, that's the work that He's given us to do. See, that's the very work of Jesus Christ. The great privilege of being the church is that we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. Really, it's, it's, it's almost like the, when they get to the, to, the, to the grave that day, resurrection's almost an afterthought to this for this guy that's, that's there to tell him what to do. It's like, oh man, this is already, this is old news already. This has happened. He's got something else for you. Go find him. And they find out what that is. And he meets him in Galilee. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do all the things that I just described. And I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you all the way. I'm not going to leave you. How wonderful is that? I mean, really. So we have to ask ourselves, is our devotion to Jesus unfailing like it was for these ladies that day? That we're just going to go no matter what. Has your faith in Jesus changed everything for you? Because that's what it did that day. Everything in history changed that day. Has your relationship and faith with Jesus changed everything for you? Is your life defined by His unfailing love for you as it is for Peter? Have you allowed all the mistakes to just be washed away by His love and grace and forgiveness so that your life can be lived with Him wholly and completely? And does your life and your participation in the life of the church demonstrate the message and the power of of Christ Jesus? That's four good questions to answer. And I pray today that you've had a chance to think about them. If you can't remember those, see me later. I'll give them to you. This is who we are. You know why I like Mark's gospel is because there's nothing else after this. There's no convincing this has to be done for anybody. It's just the end, now let's go do it. Or, it's the beginning, now let's go do it. You get to choose. Let's pray.